Hey guys, Gary here. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to highlight our sponsor, Sports Engine. Sports Engine is dedicated to making the life of a youth sports volunteer easier. Through their applications, people are able to save time on administrative tasks, allowing them more time to focus on developing their athletes. More than a million teams, leagues, and clubs use Sports Engine every day to run their websites, promote their programs, and to collect signups. They also offer an easy solution for getting uniforms delivered directly to their athletes' homes. It's called Sports Engine Gear, and you can check it out at sportsengine.com forward slash gear to get started. Great. Now, on to our show. You're listening to On The Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Here's our host and Squad Locker CEO, Gary Goldberg. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of On The Whistle. Uh, All you whistle listeners, I'm excited today because we're going to take uh, a turn of a different route in our continuous adventure to understand how teachers, mentors, and coaches help young people reach their full potential. And today, we're not headed down the normal path of sports. We are headed down a path of education. And I'm excited to introduce our listeners to a really interesting person that I've read about by the name of Alexander Major II. Um, Alexander is a science teacher at a school here in Providence, Rhode Island, by the name of E-Cubed Academy. And um, I read an article which prompted me to reach out to Alexander in the Boston Globe in the education section. And Alexander is a graduate of Queens College with two master's degrees. Uh, In addition, he's a black belt in what I will probably mispronounce, Mu. Do, Kwan, Taekwondo, and Kempo. How bad was that, Alexander? That wasn't bad. Mu Du Kwan. Mu Du Kwan. With Long Island Taekwondo. Cool. Uh, wife and children came from New York City to find uh, for him a good school for his kids and ended up uh, placing them at the French American School, which is, as I know, an excellent school. And uh, so welcome to the show, Alexander. I'm super excited to get in a conversation with you about uh, what you've been up to. And you've got some really interesting and provocative quotes in the uh, in this discussion in the Boston Globe. So I really want to peel it back with you and see what we can find. Well, with a lot of the reasons I moved here, um, I wanted to further my children's French education. But I found the Providence School District where I work out now excellent because I was working at classical high school with these children who were very motivated to learn in a very strong parental support group. And we did a lot of things. We even raised koi fish. At the same time, we had the, um, the kids managing the classes. I was giving the lecture. They reported to their supervisor, reported to the head supervisor who came to me. They were doing water chemistry of the fish. They were identifying the fish, taking them out, putting the little tanks, taking pictures of them. They had the big tank that they were running everything else in, especially with um, feeding and removing waste. And they were running this 500-gallon tank as the class was going on. And I was able to do that with um, Providence Public Schools. I couldn't have done it anywhere else because of the support that I did have. And the the school district did well. They were... I like being in it. I like teaching there. 
And the kids wanted to learn. And I went from classical high school to E-Cubed Academy High School. And under um, my principal, um, Ms. Wingfield, we did a lot of things, including trips to um, the Bronx Zoo, which is a big thing, going from Rhode Island all the way to New York City, leaving at 7 in the morning, coming back at 10.30 at night, looking at the actual animals that we were studying in class in a natural environment. And now we have Dr. Redmond, who is a very unique principal who's pushing for excellence. And it allows me to grow as a teacher, as a professional, become better than what I am. Yeah, I love that. So for those of you who notice a little talking in the background in our pre-show interview, Alexander explained to me that due to COVID, they've got some social distancing requirements and there's another class adjacent to him because they have limited resources at the facility there and they have to share some spaces. And so they've got classrooms divided up during COVID and there's a small group being lectured next to him. So make no mind to the background noise. We're here to listen to Alexander tell his story, but uh, you will hear a little background from now now and then. So Alexander, what is E-Cubed Academy? I mean, it's kind of like a you know, you hear about like Providence High School or Manhattan High or, you know, San Francisco High or whatever. What is E-Cubed Academy? It's kind of a strange name. What's what's going on there? Well, here we we focus on children becoming better. We want them to become world, let's say, what's the proper way of saying it? That's kind of difficult with that. But the thing is, we want them to become educated. We want them to become motivated. We want them to be successful in their careers. And we're teaching them how to teach themselves. So this way, they're never behind on anything. If they need a particular skill, they can seek it out themselves and actually teach themselves going forward, which is should be done in all schools. You were quoted as saying, and this is the title of the article, which really um, drew my attention and got me interested in reading the whole article. And then we put our Cracker Jack staff on to track you down and invite you onto the show. And you're a difficult guy to get a hold of because I think I misspelled your email address a few times, but you're quoted, <laughs> you're, <that. laughs> you're quoted as saying, you can't blame other people for what you don't know. This brings accountability back to the student. Now, other than the pandemic restrictions have been placed upon us, it's still, you're there to learn. You're there to become educated. And therefore, you have a responsibility and an accountability for your education. You can't pass it off on someone what you don't know. You have to seek help. So you can know, so you can do more. If, and also, if you don't have the resources, if you ask, other people can supply it to you. But you have to motivate yourself to become better. Once you do that, now your future is guaranteed because now you're motivated to do better. And with that, now you have a bright future ahead of you. Talk to me about engagement, right? So. I'm already fired up listening to you. Like now I want to go study something on my own because I believe in the power of education. I'm, I'm very lucky. I've been the recipient of very fine education as a child, 
as a young adult in college, I was fortunate. I was given the privilege of very, very good education. Um, I read in the article that 70% of the teachers in your school or in your area are white. 90% of the students are not. Why is that important that, that what, what's going on in that part of the conversation? Uh, is, is your skin color important in your success with some of these kids, Alexander? Yes, it is. And especially focus on Black History Month. You have the same thing nationwide. Kids, when they look at you, they're looking for a role model. They're looking for something that they can see in themselves to tell them that they can do it. Um, when they see a person of their particular, um, let's say, race or culture or religion, they're aware that, hey, I can be that person too. I have the ability to do more just like them. So when you see a, um, like a, a particular stereotype working towards excellence and they're doing well, and then when you see someone of your own particular stereotype doing the same thing, you know that it's possible, especially in real world situations. Like you see many people, um, unfortunately, the way the media portrays them, just as race, saying only white people can do this. And then you see black people, athletic and sports. Black people and white people, we're all human beings. We're all the same. We're different because of the history that we all went through. The history that each one had a particular, let's say, position that they had to play due to the demographics, due to the, um, the wishes of uh, economics at the time. And that promoted certain resources that was denied to people of color. So when they see another person of color, they said, yes, I could become a doctor. Yes, I could become a musician. Maybe I see just Caucasians there, but that doesn't mean I can't be there either. I didn't have rejected stamped on my rear end when I was born. So therefore, I'm capable of learning. Therefore, I take the responsibility. I may not have the resources to do what some of them has done, but I still have the responsibility of learning, just like they did. They worked hard to get to where they are. I have to work harder because I may not have the resources that they have. So if I can see how someone else made it, using the amount of resources I had, we have further connections to get these resources so I can become successful, then I hold myself accountable because now it's my motivation that drives me to be successful, to become that excellent person, which I know I can be. You know, there's, uh, there's so much interesting stuff in this article, and I want to poke around a little bit at it. I'm quoting the article. I'm, quote, I'm quoting the article here. He's, not, he's also not shy about explaining the importance of arming his students with facts. When his students ask about Superfund sites or environmental challenges in their communities, he jokes that, quote, some politician with only a C in biology is putting that in your backyard. Now, I should tell you, I love this quote. Alexander, I love this quote because it has a lot of dimensions to it. One, I think 
the current environment about politics is that somehow politicians or government have all these answers and that all these answers and we're in good hands all the time and that they're going to help us solve all of our problems by just electing and giving and providing them with unlimited resources. And that's I, what they promote. That's what they promote. And I'm not a fan of that, right? I believe in small town um, leadership. I believe in teachers that make a difference in young people's lives. I believe in coaches. I believe in community. Small up to top. I, I'm not a big top to top down guy. So, mm-hmm. well, what did well, where do you getting that here? Are, are you feeling the same thing I'm feeling? And 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 how are you? Uh, what do you think you're doing when you're calling out politicians, or what are you trying to tell kids? What, what's the message in that quote? I'm trying to tell kids: Look, you have to find out the truth yourself. You cannot rely on others to tell you the truth. Now, we used to have, I'm from old school, we used to have a standard honor. My honor is my bond, and that's the way it should be. My word is my honor, my honor is my bond. And you're seeing less and less of that. It was frowned upon my generation to tell a lie. You shouldn't be lying. That, that's being almost as bad as, not being worse than a coward. But the thing is, by doing the right thing, by not lying, and you're telling the truth, a person can't deny that truth. They listen to the facts and either they accept it or they find other evidence to refute it. But by you going out and finding the truth yourself, you're able to make a decision that can actually erase a negative outcome upon yourself. But it is essential that you become involved and you find out the truth about what's going on in your neighborhood, what's going on in other neighborhoods, and what's the similarity to yours. So this way you can um, effect a better future for your own family. I love that. So talk to me about some tactics, right? So we're talking, we've gone high level. You're, you're talking about philosophy, pedagogy, and strategy. <laughs> and now I'm reading a part of the article that says, you have a lot of really cool different ways of getting kids interested and involved in what you're trying to teach them. You've used comic books, martial arts, races and class. And then you said once that you taught physics to students using a Spanish novella. How did you do that? <laughs> that was a good one. The kids were a little bit um, like antsy because we were in physics class. And then they wanted to know about, we were discussing um, kinetics. So we decided to just to switch it around a little bit. So I made each one of them characters and I, ass- and I assigned in my mind their particular script. And I started doing that in class. By doing that in class, um, they were getting into it because they felt themselves being put into it. So that gave them more of a real-life connection. And then they started um, laughing at the particular connections I was uh, remarking on. For example, one kid, I said, now, as you were um, becoming uh, very close to your client because you were her physical therapist, you knew the woman was rich. You knew something was wrong, though, because her sister, her sister was actually seeing someone on the side, but she stated that... (laughs) I don't want to ever have a relationship, but she was having a relationship with this rich, nice young man on the side, but she made a a deal with her sister that there should be no type of relationship. Otherwise I would disown you. 
but you know the truth. She wanted to marry someone. She was waiting for her sister just to like kick off. So she would inherit the money and then she would have a beautiful marriage because now she has the money to be with the gentleman that she always wanted to be just like young and the restless. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I hear that. But then you go on with that. You keep pushing into that and they, they liked it. And I'm like, okay, now we're going a little bit further. And we're talking about a car accident that was happening. We were te- talking about the, the velocity that was achieved going forward. And then the poor person was walking across the street, but she had the wheelchair. What happened? Oh, that was messed up. She got hit. How much force? How would you calculate that? You would use force times mass. A force equals mass times acceleration. How would you find the acceleration? Oh, velocity over time. So how long did it take? Oh, it was a few seconds, but I could swear she was traveling about 65 miles an hour. So give me a rough calculation. They put that up on the board. Okay, let's let's figure out the acceleration. They did that. And I said, look at the combined mass, the estimated mass of both of them. And I said, now calculate the force. Oh, she got messed up. I went, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not much survivors there. But you see, that puts them into because putting all these equations on the board doesn't mean anything. They got to see how it relates to the real world. Like you teach them algebra. Um, then you go to algebra two. And then when you go, when they need the math, they go, huh, how you do that? But if they see how it relates, they can see how in the future when they graduate, how to deal with their credit card bills, how to set up a rate of, of payment that would be faster. Should I pay more um, in, instant, um, in interest payments now or should I pay less over time? Which one will get me to my goal? This is the basis of financial freedom to know what to do. Because they learn, but they don't know what to do when they learn geometry. I said, guys, you can use that with your house. When you're building your house, when you're building a fence around your house, when you're building furniture, you are ripping out your kitchen like I did. I had to measure the um, the square footage of the floor. I had to determine how many tiles I was going to put in. I had to do the same thing for my wall when I put in the um, I put in the wallboard. I had to go and figure that out. They're not going to do it for me at Walmart or Lowe's. They want to sell me the, um, the material, but I got to know the square footage. I got to know how much. I got to know what I should use. And I use my geometry for that. And in combination, in that, I use what I learned in workshop. In shopping, when I was in high school, I used what I learned in math there. I was able to create a marble game. I was able to create a, a little table. I was proud of myself because I had the skills to do it. This is what allowed me to put um, windows in my house in North Adams. I put all those windows in. It was designed for a nice New England winter, freezing. I ripped the, um, the stops out, which were pine. They were rotting. I put in oak, um, oak stops. I beveled it off with mahogany, and it looked gorgeous. They came in like, oh, my God, where would you learn this? Oh, high school taught me how to do it. But these kids have to see what they're learning in class, how it relates and here at eCube, they're becoming um, a P school now. Now, with its P school, they're going to be learning skills and techniques that they can use in the real world as technicians, um, computer technicians. Um, they can work at, um, what is that place? The submarine. Um, uh, electric boat. Yeah, electric boat. Thank you. They can work there. They can work in other places. Um, it's all open to them now. The whole technical area is now going to be open to them where they take what they learn in class academically and they put it into vocational use. 
So now they're fully functional. Now, if they decide not to, that's fine. They can use it for themselves and pursue an academic path if they want to go into finances, if they want to become something involved in um, the sciences. They now can. They have the opportunity to go in both directions, which everyone should be able to do because um, it's okay to pay someone to do something in your house, but only after you delegate the authority. If you don't have time to do it and you know you don't have the proper technical skill to do it, you hire a professional to do it. But if you can do it and you can do it safely, save the money. Do it yourself. I did my kitchen. I was so happy with it. So our engineer here, Max McVeigh, if you you follow him on Instagram, it's all of him redoing his entire house from refinishing the antique front door to the kitchen to everything. I've been watching him redo his house for years and he would agree with you. By the way, that physics lesson sounds fascinating. I was tortured in high school with a physics teacher by the name of Chris Dunstan. And I, first of all, physics was the most terrifying subject. Everybody knew that it was the hardest thing in high school, chemistry and physics. So you went into it scared, right? And True. then all you did was get hit with this high-level math that you had. I had no confidence in. And it was a torture chamber for me, physics, to be honest with you, right? But if I could have done it in the style that you just described to me, boy, what an enjoyable experience. And I would have found it so much more contextual for the world around me. It would have See, been- I learned that for all the trials and tribulations I went through in high school. I was at W.C. Bryant High School in Queens, New York. And my teacher, Mr. Reichwall and Mr. Jacobson, they hit me with this, that. And I said, why am I doing this? We're doing acid-based titration. He goes, well, we want to see which is better, Tums or Rolades. I went, all right, that makes sense. I saw those commercials. <laughs> so we actually did it. I was like, this is cool. See, that's a relation. Even now when you're teaching chemistry, they're all nervous. They see this up. They see a, an equation, a formula. When no. First, what is a variable? Well, I heard of it when we were taking math. I never knew what it was. I said, well, don't be upset about it. A variable is a particular symbol of a particular quantity of something that you want to measure. That's all. It's something you want to measure. Simple as that. Now we can talk independent and dependent factors that depend on that in the experiment, but that's all it is. They said, oh, I thought it was all this and that. And a function, a function is just showing the relationship between one variable to another. Let's use one variable. Let's use Jose. There's Jose. Here's the other variable, milkshake. How fast do you think that milkshake can survive on that table? Uh, with him, <laughs> it'll be about mm, about 14 seconds. But with um, the other gentleman, whose name is William, it'll last all day because he wants to just enjoy the taste. He wants to sip it. He wants to be somewhere else and transport himself. And so, but the relationship between that, they both like milkshakes. And then the time duration between them also gives them a relationship. But you see, you try to tie it in so they can actually make a connection to it. Then you can start introducing things. Then you can start pushing forward. But that relationship to real world in their particular reality or not has to be done. When we were doing plasma um, discussions, they were going like, what's plasma? Energy field and all that. I said, remember Dragon Ball um, Z? Remember when Gohan went to Super Saiyan 2? They went, yeah, that was cool. I went, all right then. How do you think his body survived the transformation? You saw the energy being given off. Now, 
if you saying energy destroys everything, that means the matter was destroyed, but you saw he was still intact. So how do you explain that? There had to be some way of keeping the cellular memory so he can actually keep recreating himself during the transformation. Huh. I said, do we have the technique to do that yet? No, not yet, but you can actually see how he reformed himself and he became stronger, he became better. Otherwise, he wouldn't have survived it. I went, okay, that's a nice assumption. But now, the interest, we're looking at the, um, the actual Dragon Ball Z episode, going, oh, check it out, whoa. And that gave him an explanation for his enhanced abilities when he went to Super Saiyan 2. I said, now we're talking physics, guys. Oh, this is cool. I like this. I said, look at what you're wearing. All that is chemistry and physics, what you got on. You know, you wouldn't have it. How do you uh, look at the zipper? That's a simple tool. Now, with that, how do you think that was created? Why do you think that was created? Why do you have a belt on? It wasn't a dream that suddenly came to somebody. They were looking at it and say, how can I make the particular circumference smaller? Well, I can take a length and I can subtract from the length by putting holes in it. And if I put it around my waist, secured with, with um, straps to the pants, I can actually put it around my waist and my pants will be held up. That's a great idea. They went, why didn't I think of that? I said, you see, that's your fault. You should have thought of that early. You would have been a millionaire. Look at Velcro. Look at the money made with that. It's just loops and hooks. So now they start thinking. Now you got the creativity flowing. Now they come back, they're excited. They want to learn the next day because physics depends upon the teacher, the teacher's experience, the teacher's content knowledge. And you put that together, the teacher should be able to put it in different perspectives depending upon the student in front of you. Every student marches to a different drummer or to a walks with a different orchestra. You look at that particular um, relationship that they have and you change your perspective to fit that, to reach that student. Then that student understands. Then you can bring him back into the general population and now he understands from his perspective exactly what he should learn and also it encourages him, <coughs> excuse me, it encourages him to go further to motivate himself to do more because he sees more. He sees what others don't see and he sees what they do see. And this sparks that creativity to go further. Alexander, <coughs> what an inspiration. And your students are so lucky to have somebody that's so engaging. I mean, I'm fascinated listening to this. Where did you, how did you get to this point in your teaching career that you developed these skills? Were you lucky enough to have a teacher like the one you've become when you were younger? And did that inspire you to try these methodologies? Or are you just this wacky, zany guy who loves cartoons and Velcro? <laughs> and when you put cartoons and Velcro together, you end up with Alexander Major. Like, how did you get here? Well, the first thing I had was the Boys Club of Queens in, um, in New York. That helped me because we had so many things to do and I learned how to swim there. Um, I learned to be a lifeguard because the lifeguard wouldn't show up, kept skipping out. So I became a lifeguard so I could take his place. Then I found there was another level, so I became a lifeguard trainer. Then I became a lifeguard instructor trainer. Then I was training people at Camp Integrity um, in, um, out in the Hamptons. I was doing that. Um, I got into gymnastics because I watched it at the boys club, got better there. 
learned my double back on floor. And that helped me in the Queens College to get on the diving team because they said a big guy like you, I was, I was only 230 at the time. I was doing a round off back handspring, back handspring, double back on floor. The, um, my um, math teacher there saw me. He was also a coach of the swimming and diving team. He recruited me. He said, I want you on diving. A guy like you doing something like that. And that was Dr. Shelley Rothman. So I had him for math also. So he helped out with that. Then for music, I had Miss Joanne Folletta. She's one of the top five conductors in the nation now. She um, helped me with multiple percussion because um, as a percussionist, you're playing one instrument, but sometimes you got to play multiple instruments. And she encouraged me to do that because sometimes we'd be missing a percussionist, a particular part couldn't be covered. So she wanted me to make sure it's covered. So you're ahead of the section or if something couldn't be done by one of the percussionists, I had to do it. And at Queens College, she was my conductor. Also, the Queens Symphonic um, Symphony, she was uh, my conductor. And we did well that way because um, even the guys at um, Juilliard, we were doing a concert there. They were watching us do this particular piece. What was that? Um, Petrushka. Now, we needed a bass drum roll, but we were missing the other person that had to play snare also. And I also had to play triangle. So I played it like a bodan. I put one stick here, one stick here, so I could rotate my hand. So I'm rotating here, and I have my um, triangle beater here, and I have my drumstick here, and I'm playing all three parts. They were listening from the sound booth. They said, man, that was incredible. How did you learn to do that? I said, Joanne Flatter. <laughs> she told me, make it happen. So I had to become creative because that's what she wanted. She says to go deeper, bring out the musicianship in yourself. You see what needs to be done, do it better. So by adopting her standards, I got better. So as long as I'm around people who were um, excellent in their own particular areas and they were willing, they helped me. Even Lionel Hampton, the vibraphonist. I asked him a question because he had Queens College about to do a concert. And I asked him about... Um, formality technique because that was the problem with the chord progression he said young man come here come here it's very important for a black man to understand what he's supposed to be doing <laughs> so uh right now what i want you to do is just remember the chord progression make sure that the stick is actually resting within the hand and you have a firm grasp and you use the, your your wrist turn as you're going up the chord progression and then they were interrupting oh no, no no i'm talking to this young man you wait you wait it's important young man you pay attention I love that timeout. I love that, that he made time for me. So I worked on my vibraphone as a result because I wasn't going to embarrass any of my instructors. And even on my black belt, it says, the traditions of many, the power of one. Because I am the culmination of many people. They made me. Now I'm making people. I'm going out there. I was just telling my uh, former professor, Dr. John Stein at Brown University, Look at what you created. I was looking at Don Rodriguez of the Don Rodriguez Academy. He created me. He was my coach on the um, Waco national team, him and um, Tom Festa. Tom Festa trained me six days a week to get ready for that world fight. I took third in the world. I was upset. I was almost in tears because I thought I failed. I was in the super heavyweight um, division. He told me, you don't need to be upset. You did everything you could against a world-class athlete, and you did extremely well. You lost by two points because of a penalty. You would have won that and go on for the championship. 
because he trained me and he wanted to make sure that I would get everything done and that I would do it well. And when I was out there, this guy was huge. I'm six foot four, 272. At the time, I was 231. I'm up to the guy's shoulder. I looked at him. I said, what does your mother feed you? (laughs) (laughs) He was huge. (laughs) But my coach said, take over the ring. Take it. You know how to do it. You know how to do it. And that's what I did. So, and Don Rodriguez was right there giving me strategies to use. He goes, go low, go high. And so I did. I went low, coming in, coming high with a hook kick, following up with a round kick, doing a spinning back kick. That's when I floored him. I went, let's do it again. But the thing is, these excellent people, and I'm still training with Don Rodriguez and his wife, Christine Rodriguez, the Don Rodriguez Academy here in, um, in Warwick, Rhode Island, they're still teaching me to come better. Because each particular person has his own way of approaching something. So let me give you the necessary materials so you can become something more, something unique. And all my students are unique. Hey, guys, you have that on the board to do. Your gender is listed. Your article's right here, dependent variables. Let's get on it, please. Know what you got to do. Ah, uh, yep. And we're going to read this this time. So make sure that's done. Oh, excuse me, guys, for interrupting. That's okay. The uh, students first. Take that. Oh, that's the wrong one. Get that done. Give that to him. He has a copy of that. That's independent variables. Look, read it. Go for it. That's what, excuse me, just start with here. Don't go with the timetable. It's listed right over here for you. Read that first. Follow the agenda. Follow the agenda. William, you too. Come on, Panda. I'm sorry. That's okay, Alexander. I love that. I love watching you teach. So you're a scientist by training. Yes, sir. When you run an experiment, you have controls, you have variables, and you have outcomes. Mm-hmm. I want to use you as a variable. Okay. I want to use your students as the outcome. When I enter the equation, student plus Alexander Major the second, is the outcome different? Have you seen the work you've done create outcomes that are remarkably or uniquely different based on the input of using Alexander Major? Oh, yes. So talk to me about that. What does that look like? I want to know, you know, I want to know about that because look, right now, it's all about experiments. And particularly with this vaccination, which is a fascinating thing, right? 500,000 people trying something, 95% likelihood to have an outcome. It's, It's a pretty hot topic. So if I'm lucky enough to get an Alexander Major vaccination in my science uh, lesson, <laughs> am I am I 95% likely to have a better outcome? Yes, because the standards that I hold, the levels I will hold you to, the support that I will give you, this is what I was taught, this is what I've learned, so therefore I give that to my students. Now, based upon that, I have two, um, two of my students who graduated from Yale Medical, they still say I'm the most unorthodox teacher they ever had in science. So I went, well, okay, I'll take that as a badge of honor. I have many students that have finished their master's degree who have contacted me back. I just had one student who finished accounting. She was allergic to math, but she changed her mind based upon what we did in physics. She was excited by that. And she said, math isn't bad. So she graduated from URI. Um, I have one student right now. He's based in North Carolina. He went military. Um, he would like his name mentioned. That would be Hewell Rosado. Um, 
he is there and he plans to rise to the rank of colonel. So he's working on that right now, making sure that he gets into officer training school. You go further. I have another student from graduated from Brown. He's going into the Navy right now and he's going into, um, into officer training school and to OTS. And I have to write him a recommendation today. I have many students who went on. I even had one student from special ed who wanted to learn more. This student decided to leave his class, get permission to join my biology class. He did well, got a B minus. I went, okay, could have done better. He wanted to go AP, so I let him go AP environmental science. I was unheard of for a special ed student, but he did it. He passed. From then on, we used that standard with him. Summarizing, right now, that young man is working, doing well working for this particular oil company. He just brought a house, a $318,000 house, and he's doing well. He has high standards. He's a hard worker, always looks good at work, makes sure his clothing are iron because he has pride in himself. And he has an infectious laugh. Mm. But he has a good heart on top of that. And he makes me so proud that I was able to be one of his teachers. And I still keep contact with him on a daily basis. You know, he's always around, always contact me about this, about that. He wants to talk because I tell my students, the greatest honor you can do for me is to become educated and come back as a friend because I know you. Therefore, I trust you. I'm a professional student. Did you learn something I don't know? Teach me. Do you need help with something? I have a network. I can expand it to you. Just let me know what you need help in. I have another former student. She went and um, she um, created her own eye, eyeglass store. I'm like, okay, because she needed a place, you know, she's tired of looking for jobs, so she created jobs. She had many people working for her. I went, you go, girl. You go, Grace. You do what you got to do. And it's excellent what she um, accomplished on her own. But many of them have success stories. Very few in my class fail. Because if they fail, I make it very hard to fail. I don't lower the standards. I make you explain to me why are you failing? What can be done to correct that? That's the same thing Dr. Redmond here at eCube Academy believes in. He said that these students, they're regular students. They're human beings. They can learn. If they're failing in your class, did you do a self-reflection? Did you see, is there anything in your, structure, in your instruction that you can do better to help them? If there is, do it. If there's not, seek help. We have a whole staff and you have me. Come to me. I will give you the support. And that gives me the support to go further. That tells me that I'm not alone when I'm teaching these students. And I got all these other wonderful teachers here who believe in the same standard. And we push along that avenue. And that's what these students need because they all come from varied backgrounds. They're all different from one way or another. And I understand it. I grew up in the story of projects. I was dirt, um, dirt poor. I was one of those latchkey kids. There was five of us. My parents were divorced. I went, okay, my mother relied on us to do something. So we took care of ourselves. One day I heard my mother crying. And then I, I went to her and I asked her why. She said she didn't have enough money for lunch for us tomorrow. So what did I do? I went and decided to get a job. So I worked for the Daily News. I got a big route. I put it together myself. 
I knew the project, so he let me run it because it was, it's not too safe an area then. But I um, put my own route together. I made $140 a week. I gave $100 to my mother, and I kept $40 for myself. That helps her out with the others because I saw that as my role in the family to contribute to be better. And she allowed me to go to the boys club, which was great. That took the stress off for me. But it also allowed me to do my schoolwork, to get involved in the band, to get um, involved in gymnastics, to get involved in water polo. I became the first black goalie in the Northeast United States Division I. I did that because of Shelly Rothman. He recruited me for diving, and then he wanted me to play water polo. That's all I'm supposed to do. He said, get in front of the goal. I said, yeah, what? Don't let anything go in. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I saw a ball coming out of my face. I took the hit. Bam. He goes, good block. I said, believe me, that wasn't intended. It wasn't intended. (laughs) But I got better, and suddenly I'm in – I'm Princeton University. We're beating on the Princeton guys. Like, yeah, what are we going to do with them? We're going to put them away. We got to. We're better. And the fight against Army and Navy, that was something else. It says, it's us civilians against them. Who's better? Well, they were civilians before they became that. So, therefore, we got to bring them back to the foundation, back to the root, back to us. And we ran them all over that pool. And it was, it was great because you had such high-level people all competing. I still remember this guy, Rasmussen. Huge dude. Biggest Caucasian guy I've ever met. Six foot seven, all muscle. Girls would see him and go like, oh, my God, that's the new Captain America. <laughs> this guy was pumping. I came out of the goal and I grabbed his wrist. He started pumping me with the ball. I was I said, if he shoots and scores, I'll never be able to live it down. Took my full weight and I pulled him and I managed to deflect him. I went, oh, thank God. <laughs> but be against people of that level and to be able to compete against them is just something that all these students should be able to have, depending upon what they're interested in. That avenue should be open. And this is what the Providence Public Schools are trying to do now. The networking district together, they're trying to promote these opportunities in the high schools. They're opening up all these different courses and they're pushing them forward, saying like, here, here's your option. You can be better. You have the support. Be better. And this is what we're doing. This is why I'm still part of this. You know, um, there's a, a wonderful quote at the end of the article. It says, my main thing that I don't know is what you're going to be, but I demand that you be an advocate for change. And that's well, that's your quote, right? So yeah. now my sense is that you desire change. You want positive impact and change. You're a wonderful example of what it takes to create change against <clears throat> a momentum of lack of resources or lack of opportunities. Is it changing, Alexander? Or is it headed in the right direction? where you came from to what you see today, are we making progress? I say we are. There's many daunting challenges due to income, inequity, pandemic, but we still have to have hope that we're becoming better. When I first started, for example, in music, I can go like this, you know, keep a rhythm, but 
promoted to that. I evolved. The same thing is happening here. They learn, they build, they learn, they build. They build up their metacognition. They scaffold. I believe in that, that they can do more and more. It's just the standards and the teacher to guide them through it. And then they can make it. They become those advocates to change because now they can perceive a better world that make the changes that needed to be done that we couldn't do before because the economic um, outlook probably have changed because many things changed throughout the years. So each year you're dealing with something new. So we need people educated who can, who live through it, who can make the changes because they see what needs to be changed. We need those who go out there and speak, who can actually give a new solution, who can actually listen to others, listen to the way they are impacted by particular elements within society and how can they make it better? We need people like this. And so therefore I'm in there as an educator, hoping, hoping that I make an impact upon them. A lot of people say that, Oh, major, I'll never forget you. I went like, good. That is good. Because that means you're still going to be you. I'm not you, you're you, but you're going to become a valuable you. And that makes me proud. And that becomes my legacy. You've clearly been through a lot of really unique experiences. I know that what I've learned about you is you were also a high-performing athlete. Sounds like you've played in a lot of games, a lot of tournaments. I'm sure you've had a lot of science fairs and things with your students and different complex engagements. Let oh, me ask you, let me ask you a simple question. What do you have you gained more from, the wins or the losses? You gain from both. The wins show how much you were prepared and how much <coughs> you accomplished. The losses show where you should improve. You learn from both. Even in a karate match, if the gentleman beats you, what technique did he use to beat you? Why did you let that technique become repeated? What combination of techniques could you have used to prevent that? How should you have changed your strategy? All that comes from winning and losing. It's all there. John Rodriguez taught me that. I said, the guy keeps punching me in the face. He, well, don't let your face be there. <laughs> It's a good idea. <laughs> Learn to duck. <laughs> so things like that. These students, they have to be there. We win, they lose. This is one of the things I'm against. Where say everyone's a winner. No, everyone's not a winner. Those who strive, who work hard, they become winners. Those who lose, they learn from their losses. And if they they're motivated because they really want that particular um, win, they'll work for it. And now you got a stronger challenge coming back up because now they lost, even though this is not going to happen again. Now they're prepared and they go up and they compete to win. So in that manner, this is where everyone becomes a winner because long you're striving, long as you're pushing, you're not a loser. This is why my name says Alexander major the second, because number two always tries harder. <laughs> If people want to get in touch with you, Alexander, or email you or follow you on some social media, how should they do that? How can people learn about what you're up to? Do you have a Twitter handle? Do you have uh, a page that they can find out more about you on? Um, you can contact me through LinkedIn. So Alexander Major II at E-Cubed Academy on LinkedIn. Just put that in no, there. Not E-Cubed Academy, just Alexander Major. You'll see in my profile where I'm from and everything, but my, uh, Alexander Brooks Major II, you'll find me on LinkedIn. 
And that's how we connected. Alexander, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I've never seen an educator that's so physically involved, but also so intellectually connected to the physical portion of the teaching. It's really inspiring. And and I hope that you have a lot of a lot more classroom experiments that end up in great outcomes because I'm certainly counting on it. And I know that you are a shining example of what leadership and mentorship and kindness can bring to somebody who's looking to fulfill their own productivity and promise. So thanks for the work you do. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. And I'm going to use that to strive even harder. Today, we have an experiment on yeast. So they're going to be working two hours after school voluntarily to complete their experiment. I'll tell them what we've talked about today. I appreciate that. Alexander, be well. Take care, sir. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. On the Whistle is powered by Squad Locker. Squad Locker is your one-stop shop for customized team apparel delivered right to your front door. To learn more, visit squadlocker.com.